In the following live session recording, Marty Godfrey, Executive Pastor, Burnt Hickory Baptist Church of Powder Springs, Georgia, discusses community engagement. Our churches are ready for visitors from the community, but where are they? They're not showing up. In this session, the listener will learn the most effective outreach model used right now, community engagement with Sunday School leading the way. You'll be able to put together a plan for your church and your community. Let's join Marty now. Well, good morning. I uh, hope you're all feeling good this morning. Hey, listen, this is a great uh, topic. I just can't wait. This is actually right in my uh, one of my wheelhouses, my passions. And uh, so I hope that you find just a nugget. That's what I do. I, I prayed uh, in advance to come in here that God would... Uh, everybody got a hand out? Okay. That, uh, that God would be working in you and that He would guide me in my preparation and then what I say, just so you can take away one thing that can make a difference. You can take it back with you. That's what I always look for when I go to conferences. If I can take one nugget back, that's, that's the deal. So that's what I'm praying for you guys. Let me introduce myself a little bit. So who am I? Why should you care what I say or listen to what I say? I had some of you guys yesterday. And uh, so I'm a family guy. These are my three kids. I've got Matthew, my oldest one. He's a state farm agent. He's the only one married to the three. He's got three little granddaughters, my little granddaughters. My wife, Becky. And then I have Christopher, 30, and Stephanie, 27. And uh, so my baby here, she just had her one, uh, just turned one years old two days ago. And uh, so she is so sweet and uh, enjoying her. Hey, listen, I am a, I'm, I'm north of the Nat line. So I'm a North Georgia hillbilly, okay? Born and raised up in the mountains. And um, so a suburb of Blue Ridge. And uh, as if Blue Ridge had suburbs. Yeah, that's right. So McKaysville, nobody used to know where McKaysville was. Now people will go to Blue Ridge and they ride the train to McKaysville Copper Hill. Have any of y'all ever done that? And uh, we got so tickled when they started doing that because we'd watch them when they stepped off uh, in McKaysville Copper Hill to nothingness. <laughs> They're like, here we are. <laughs> the town has died. And uh, so the biggest attraction was the sign that says, this is the Georgia-Tennessee line. You can get your picture made in both states. So some of y'all may have done that. Yeah, and then, okay, let's get back on the train, right back to Blue Ridge. So, uh, so I'm just from small. My folks moved there a couple hundred years ago, actually. Um, came in South Carolina, Raven County, made their way over. And uh, the land lottery, I guess they got land, and then they found copper and copper mines there in Copper Hill. So that's where my, my granddaddy's worked, my daddy worked. By the time it got my generation, uh, they closed the mines because you could import it cheaper than you could mine it and refine it. So we were first generation to kind of go to college. Daddy was a brick mason, and uh, mother worked for the postal system. She actually got to be the uh, postmaster of the little country post office in uh, Ellen, uh, not Ellen, that was a city to us, Epworth, Epworth, Georgia. Uh, but I still love going up, trout fishing, and mother still lives up there, and uh, she's getting on in years. But uh, so I love uh, mountains, North Georgia. I love barbecue eating. This is the fire pit at Williamson Brothers Barbecue in Mayretta. 
And uh, so my, my, I had a birthday a couple of weeks ago. My boys wanted to take me to lunch. So they took me to Williamson Brothers. That's when I found that they were uh, getting my lunch for free on, on your birthday. So they didn't have to pay me at all. But I didn't have to pay for them. That was the good news. Yeah, how old do you have to be before you quit paying for your kids' uh, meals? Yeah. I don't know. We don't know yet. Don't know yet. Okay. It's kind of weird. All right. And so anyway, uh, so I tried out Bandy's um, yesterday lunch. And uh, so, have y'all, any of y'all tried Bandy's here? No, which one you tried? It's been around. It's, no, the downtown. you got to have the ambiance. Oh, the, the, oh, yeah, downtown. The ambiance of downtown. I mean, it's been there since, whatever, the 40s. They were started in the 1920s or something. Yeah, we're good stuff. So, uh, hey, listen, I'm a bulldog. I graduated Georgia. My wife did, and the boys did. I just finished 15 years at Burn Hickory, and they surprised me by recognizing me with some stuff, and they gave me season tickets to the games this year. Yeah, I have one Gamecock fan here. That's right. And uh, so I'll sell you the Notre Dame tickets for like $6,000, and then I'm going to retire. So uh, anyhow, uh, so I'm pretty pumped about, about that. Uh, I have a little bit different background, so I went to school, didn't know what to major in, somebody told Daddy that accounting was a good field and you plenty of jobs and money, and I thought, well, I don't know what that is. I'm pretty good at math, so I majored in accounting. Hated it, actually. And, uh, but I did go, so I, but I went into business. I got my MBA in finance, so I worked a number of years for the phone company. Um, and so in kind of the Atlanta area, we had a bunch of offices around the state and around the, the southeast. Uh, ended up, after about 16 years with them, I was a director in one of them uh, rooms right there. The, the, the sad part of that is I, my office overlooked Georgia Tech football field, which is the furthest thing from football you'll, you'll ever get. But um, anyway, but uh, you know, coming down, moving down to the city, never got used to Atlanta. I don't think you ever do. You just tolerate the traffic and stuff. But there weren't any jobs at the time back up home. Um, but to God bless me, being in a couple of great churches as a young married uh, couple, we were in Eastside Baptist in Marietta in the 80s in, in their high growth years. That's kind of when I started learning Sunday school and being a part of a church that was healthy and vibrant. I got transferred with my job over to Gwinnett County and started going to this little church called First Baptist Snellville. And uh, when they were smaller, there with James Merritt. So I was there as we grew and quadrupled from that and had several building programs and were baptizing a thousand a year. I was a deacon officer and finance committee and Sunday school teacher, all those kind of things. So God kind of taught me principles in business and in, in ministry through a lot of different involvements as well. Then he called me into vocational ministry. Eastside called me back there to be the Ministry of Education and Church Growth. And then I was there seven years. And then Burnt Hickory in West Marietta called me in as executive pastor there. So um, um, I, uh, my passion is I'm not like, so I have, so the pastors report up through me and then me to the uh, senior pastor. Um, I don't do the business of the church. I oversee it, but I've got a business administrator who's got an MBA as well. Because if I wanted to just do business, I just stayed in business and made more money and uh, volunteered in church. So uh, anyway, I love ministry. I love, have a passion for evangelism and discipleship. 
done through the body of Christ and through Sunday schools. So uh, anyway, so we're going to jump in. I do. So this is like Becky and I still. We've been. I've been teaching Sunday school since uh, I was 27 or so. This is uh, we we pour into young couples now. These are some of the folks in our life group Sunday school class that we teach now. This season, I really want to pour in to the next generation and help develop leaders out of them. So we have a great time uh, with these guys. Well, I learned a little bit about who you are. Um, Let me ask you why you're here. Why did you choose community engagement to come to this morning? Well, because my church uh, can stand to improve in that area and also most of the churches around us. I thought that would be a good thing for my church and also our association. Very good. Right. Yes. I'm part of Children's Church now, so yep. I'm trying to figure out how to go out in the community and, and engage young families and so forth. Good. It's good. Our church is mostly made up of senior adults. Yep. It, it was, they talk about, you know, 20, 30 years ago when they were a thriving church. And right. Now it's down to just some of the older members right. are left. And, so and you're not alone. I mean, that's... Some ideas of how to bring people in. We're in a farming kind of area. And it's, yeah. It's, a lot of things people suggest don't, don't work where we are. Right. I understand. I went back to my home church and did uh, training for them. And they have a similar situation. And... Um, and that's one reason I do a lot of this is I, I really I have a heart for taking what I've learned in, in growing up rural small churches, finding what are the transferable principles, what are the scalable principles, doesn't matter what size you are, and and then be able to share those uh, with other churches. So it's really good. Well, um, I tell you one of the reasons coming from. Um, one of the things God did from a business background, the last assignment, they took, our company was running about 100,000. Were any of y'all ever with a phone company? Okay, it was a, usually a pretty big em- employer around, I don't know if Statesboro's GTE, we didn't really have an office here. She did, yeah. I know we've got had offices in Vidalia and Jessup and Savannah and all kinds of places, but anyway. Uh, the last thing they did was we run about 100,000 uh, employees and they chose about 12 of us to different departments to come together and work with this high-powered consulting group from Germany uh, to re-engineer the company. And so as they taught these principles, they were principles actually that, that God made. They, you know, it's like every organization, if you take the key systems in, in that organization, you can boil it down to six to eight uh, key systems. You know, it's the same way God made our body and other parts um, where he put together systems that work. God is a God of organization. Mm-hmm. Everything works together so well. And so um, there were some things I tried at Snellville as a lay leader in some key positions and these same things work. I believe that what we've done is we've written off a lot of good practices to them being business or secular. Anything used in the business world, we kind of click that off to secular, and if you bring that into church, that's bad. But really, I find that those key principles that work, that have integrity, they originated from God. 
Uh, if you go back and look in Exodus when Jethro had the chat with Moses, and he talked to him about how to put together an organization chart and the job description and how to staff it and a number of those things, it makes really good sense. The problem is we've checked our brain at the door of the churches and we've done what's been done for for a hundred years. And, uh, and it used to kind of work and people would just come to the church. Anyway, I boiled it down to what I do is like eight key. In fact, in my whole time, and, and listen, if y'all want a copy of any of what this PowerPoint or anything, I've given you my email address, just request it, and I'll shoot you a copy or any other resources I can provide to you. But I hang my hat on this. I started in ministry and I started putting this in place. Every church has these elements in place, whether they've thought about it or not. And it's what I say, it's how to reach a lost, unchurched person and then making a disciple of them to where now they are on mission, reaching lost, unchurched people in the community. And every one of these, so they feed into each other. It's engaging the community. It's connecting with them on their visit. It's wowing them with your follow-up. It is then assimilating them, welcoming them into your church, into a life group, Sunday school class, which I believe is the key assimilation step. It's your system for caring for them, for equipping them spiritually, discipling them, for engaging them in ministry positions, and then for mobilizing them on mission. And so, for example, I have this on all the performance evaluations of the pastors. They're uh, there to come up with these plans, be very specific, every age group, and we're to be integrated and seamless on how we accomplish these things. So that we can be sure that every time, you know, that we are consistently doing what God has called us to do, which is to make disciples. Well, you'll notice that the very first step is what? Engaging the community. The problem I see with 90% of Baptist churches is that we use our marquee as the greatest bridge to our community. And it doesn't work. I don't care if you say welcome or we're the friendliest people in town or whatever you do. And I don't care if your music is relevant or your messages are powerful. If you are not engaging the community they're not going to come, and you're just doing it for your home folks. And so that's why I'm very, very passionate about this, is because I've seen too many churches die. Where we are, and we've more than doubled since I've been there, but if you go a half mile either direction of us on the same road, you've got one church that died that was a, a good church. The other one is probably on the, on the brinks of death. Same community we're in, same neighborhood we're in, because some people could say, well, the only reason you've grown is because your community has grown and stuff. Well, great, go out and count the number of churches that have died while that was happening. And it's because they lost it right here. They did not engage the community. They were an island to themselves. So, without community engagement, nothing else matters, and your church is on the way to the graveyard. And it's kind of cruel, but that's the truth. And I don't know why that church, the leadership of churches have an under, a hard time understanding that. I, uh, I do some consulting with churches, and there was a church in our, uh, in our uh, county 
and they had sold a piece of property and they'd gotten like a million dollars off of it and they wanted to meet with me to go over what they were planning on doing with a million dollars which would really help them reach their community and so of course the well-known thing to do as a Baptist church when you get in that stage of your life cycle is to try Family Life Center or something. Surely that will bring the young families. And so as I met with them, I said, well, now who, who are you trying to reach anyway? And they didn't know. I had run the report of who was in their, in their neighborhood and community, and it had transitioned. And uh, they said, well, we're, we're, we're going to reach the young families. Of course. Isn't that what everybody's going to do? Isn't that what you're going to do? You'd love to do? Reach the young family. Well, I pulled out. I said, what does a young family look like in your neighborhood? And they described who that was. I pulled out this report, showed it to them, and essentially they found themselves in a three-mile radius where they didn't really have a lot of young families. So you're going to reach your young families. Well, great. I mean, we've got another church, which was a great church, man. They used to run over 1,000, and their, their area transitioned um, to a different ethnicity, which sometimes happens. They built a family life center. Well, great. They pulled in the new ethnicity, but who they were was not going to reach that ethnicity. Those folks were going to play basketball there, but they wouldn't dare step inside the church building there because they'd feel totally uncomfortable. Mm. And so, you know, where's our brains in all this? Where is our brains? Unless we, my home church, uh, First Baptist McKaysville, I went in and I said, now, I've got the statistics, guys. I said, now, uh, in the last five years, has the community within three and five miles of, of your church increased in population or decreased? Well, they all said decreased because it's just like it's been, like it's died since 1980, the community has. And I showed them the numbers that it had actually shown population increase, been growing. And I said, well, I said, they wouldn't believe me. And I said, and I'll show you something in a minute because there's ways you can pull it, not just by age, by what race you are, education, but by, um, it's called lifestyle segmentation. I got into this a little bit in business uh, because it means that it doesn't matter what color you are, what race, how old, if you, for example, where our church is currently, people live in that area because of a family, uh, they want it to be kid-friendly, kid-centric. It wanted to have them the opportunities educationally and with athletics and all these things. And so we have different ethnicities. If I just did an ethnicity study, then it's just going to show I've got different ones. But you don't design one thing for an Asian culture, another for an African-American culture, another for a white necessarily. You look to see what they have in common. And so then what they do is they assign those people a cool name. And like one of the names of one of the segments in ours is like kids in cul-de-sacs. It just gives an accurate picture of who that is. Well, as I talked to them, and they said, tell, who are those people? And I said, well, you tell me. If there's a population that's grown in your area, who would you say it is? And then they didn't have a clue. I pulled out and I showed them. And it exists, and I'll tell you, we can, you can get it from your association or from the state convention. And there was a segment called Deer Hunters. And it gone through the roof. And, I, and it told what they drove. What do you think they drove? Trucks. Trucks. <laughs> and they got a gun rack there. 
they didn't have a lot of debt. They didn't live in the biggest uh, house, but if you drove by their house, you'd see a boat, you'd see you know, a four-wheeler, these type things. And I said, have you seen any of those people in our area? Because uh, that's where I'm from. And, and they said, yeah. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How are you going to reach those people? I said, is that who you are right now? And they're like, no. We're kind of old and gray, and we used to work at the company, and we retired. And I said, well, uh, you know, so, and somebody said, well, we could do a wild game banquet. I said, well, that would be a big hit. I love wild game banquets. You'll get a bunch of them out. I said, and then you've got to figure out how are you going to assimilate them into the life of your church? I said, if they come in on Sunday morning, your organ is playing, everybody has on suit and ties, do those guys even have a suit and a tie? And do they feel comfortable putting it on to come in on Sunday morning and uh, to more of a high church? And they're like, mm-hmm. and I said, well, I'm just telling you what, what it is. That's what's facing you. And you either have to deal with it or just keep your eyes closed and you know where that'll take you. And, and I'll be honest, 90% of churches today live in that world where they want to go with their eyes closed thinking they're going to reach somebody who's not even there, ignoring who is in their community on their doorstep. Because if they reached who's on their doorstep, they're going to have to do things differently. Change? What's change? That doesn't exist in a Baptist church. That's the way the preacher loses his job. The reason that the pastor is afraid to create change is because last time he did it, he got burnt and he had to move his family somewhere else. And then the people talked about how bad of a preacher he was. He couldn't reach the community. Okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm on, I'm on a soapbox. My bad, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't mean to be preaching. Okay, all right. So, community engagement unlocks the door for your church to be healthy and thriving. That's the positive side of it. Now let's get on with this thing. So three things must be true. One is you have to have a community awareness. Who's in your community? We'll talk more about each one of these. Two is you have to have a soul awareness. You have to know that there are lost people and you've got to care for lost people more than yourself. Three, you've got to have a social media awareness. Where did that come from? A social media awareness? Oh, man, that is, that's of Satan. Okay, no. You know, God is using the Internet in a powerful way on the mission field and a number of things, the way we engage with the mission partners and so forth. Okay, let's talk about community awareness. The reason you need to know your community is because you're going to be able to identify bridges into your community and barriers that keep you from your community. Okay? That's why this is essential and it starts with community awareness. I don't care if you get together as deacons and come up with changes to what time your services are or improve your parking um, lot, repay bid or or, uh, you know, put sheetrock up over the uh, cinder block uh, uh, that's in your preschool um, children's ministry. Now, those are good things, and they're necessary. But you can do those things and spend a lot of money. If you haven't taken a look at who's in your community, it's not going to help. Sorry. 
So, let's talk about this. Here's what we have to ask with community awareness. Who is in your community? Who is in my community? Take the blinders off and say, who is in my community? Who are the people within three miles of your church? Who are those people? Then you have to ask a question, who is in my church? Who's in my community? Who's in my church? And then you have to compare the two. Uh, this can tell you right off the bat, this can raise some red flags. And if y'all will, uh, um, uh, yes. Now, you know what I'm saying there? If you don't match your community, you're in trouble. If your people are driving, in fact, I was a part of Eastside Baptist. You heard of Roswell Street, it's an old powerful church. Those churches, the communities completely changed. Eastside's community went to international. The high school there next to it has 73 nationalities. Wow. Roswell Street, the immediate area, transitioned to a Hispanic area. Both of those churches had been uh, upper middle class white churches and they thought they could continue to draw those people. The only problem is those people, as oftentimes happen when a community transitions, lives a ways away and they're driving a distance and they're driving by other churches that offer the same thing that Eastside or Roswell Street did. So today Eastside runs a fourth of what it used to. Roswell run, Street runs a fourth of what it used to. Um, and sometimes churches, um, they think the way they adjust, and this is a good friend of mine, Barry Thompson, and Barry is like he's a friend in ministry, and anything I don't know, he'll know, because he's a dean of ministers of education, executive pastors, and is also pastor. But we also have seen where, let's say, a church, an area transitions to Hispanic, so that church is, thinks they're going to reach them. So what do they do? They hire a Hispanic person on their staff. Well, that's going to reach them. That's going to reach them. Or fill in the blank, whatever ethnicity. That's going to reach them. No, that's, that's not, you know, that's a valiant effort, but no. Doesn't do it. So, all right, let's look. You need to know who's in your community. Pastors, I know I've got a number of pastors in here. How do you find that out? Your association has available to them this incredible tool. And the GBC, now known as the GBMB, also has it. Tom Kreitz, is Tom still there? Tom Kreitz can run this for you. Tom has run some incredible stuff. Call up Tom Kreitz, get your pastor to call Tom Kreitz, however you want to. Check with your association. Ask them to run the demographics for your church with like a three and a five mile radius. And you will be blown away. You, they'll be giving you like a 40 page report. More than you ever knew about your community. Free. Free. I mean, this is like in business, we had to pay good money for this kind of stuff. Like This is one I had to do what? And quickly. And quickly. This is one that I had run for us. I mean, this is our church. This was a five, ten mile radius. And you can actually, Tom can actually do different slices on this as well. But for example, in ours, 
And this is an old study now, but it looks and it, it groups them together in like affluent <laughs> suburbia, upscale America, small town contentment, blue collar backbone, American diversity, metro fringe, you know, it goes through different ones. So like this affluent suburbia, that's a five mile radius, blue, 10 mile radius there. Then you can look to see who makes this up. Well, here's a list of affluent suburbia is made up of America's wealthiest dream reavers, white collar suburbia, upscale suburbanites, enterprising couples, small town success, new suburbia couples. And then you look to see which ones make up most of your community. Now I know you all are looking at me like deer in headlights. Yes, sir. Well, also ask to tell the ask Tom about Mission Insight. Yeah, which will absolutely which will take them a little closer. That's oh a thirty thousand foot, but it'll take them about five thousand foot, and they will tell you who lives in each house. Yeah, wow. each street. It is crazy. And the of that house. If you get serious about reaching your community, it is amazing the tools that we have. When I first went into ministry, we didn't have these tools, and I used to cry for them because I had them in business, I could get these things. We now have them in church, but we don't know how to use them. And so, in, so now what I do is I take this, and then boom, okay, here's one of my new suburbia families. And it tells me, young couples, preschool children, they've turned new suburbia families into a booming lifestyle, concentrated in fast-growing fringe communities, many households under 35, goes into lifestyle, They've created active, children-centered lifestyles. These families participate in a number of team sports, such as baseball, basketball, soccer, shoveling their kids and gear to activities in their SUVs and minivans. It tells you that what they're eating for uh, dinner, pizza, they have Pop-Tarts in their lunch kits. <laughs> and, and media, it tells you that they like to watch ESPN, and uh, these folks know, like, we keep up with this because, like, Chip and Joanna Gaines, everybody, have you ever seen that? Okay, that's, like, who our market is. They keep up with those things. So then it says, well, like, how do you reach out to these people? I mean, like, how much more do you want somebody to spoon feed you? But here's the problem is, now once you got it, you got to do something with it. And you got to move people out of their comfort zone to be able to reach people they've not reached before, perhaps. Okay. And that's where you got to come alongside the pastor because the pastor's afraid to go there because he's afraid his job's going to be on the line. And just to be honest, it gets really tiring as a pastor knowing that you're always one vote away from having to box your family up and move to another place and have to get them somewhere else. That's why Tom Rayner says that one of the biggest uh, movements happening right now are bivocational pastors where they're not totally relied upon the church paying them because that gives them more freedom to be able to do what they need to do instead of operating from fear. So your pastor needs some friends to come alongside him. And here's the thing, your church has smart people in it who know and can deal with this kind of stuff. They do it in their work. Mm -hmm. But for some reason at, at church, they just think, no, you don't, you know, you just let church, you just do Sunday school in church. Preacher ought to go visit folks and the preacher ought to reach out to folks. And, and, you know, preacher ought to get people saved and he ought not preach more than 12 o'clock because then we'll be behind the Methodists for lunch. And, you know, by the time they finish that, they're pretty comfortable. So, you see what you got here? 
is so great, and you can have that for your church. It's very easy. I mean, you can have it like next week. What was the gentleman's name again? Tom Kreitz, C R I T E S. Here's something else I do is that like this is like I want to know where our members live. So what I did was I took our database and you you have to figure out where your database. You may just have an Excel database or you may have Shelby or ACS or whatever, whatever. I took it and I used to ask Tom to do this for me. Now Google Maps, all you do, you can have an Excel spreadsheet of just the addresses of your people in Google Maps. Just Google, Google Maps, and then do like, I forget if it's called a pin map in that particular one or whatever, and I just highlighted my addresses, boom. It put maybe up a pin map so I know where everybody is. So I know where I am, and I know the concentration of my people, uh, so that, because then what I did was I looked, at number one, I want to kind of see how far I'm reaching. There are usually some natural barriers. Uh, like when I was at Eastside, um, all of a sudden Johnson's Ferry got to kicking back in the day, Johnson's Ferry Baptist Church. And so they cut off the whole east side of because people quit traveling out our way. And then they started making apartments and that cut off the west side. <laughs> so the people moved up in the northeast side. And so as a result of looking at that, I actually, um, there was a campus that was going under that we actually partnered with to take that over as our second campus because it was right where all of our people lived. You have to be creative like that. You have to, for example, you have to take risks like um, Church in Powder Springs. They probably could have relocated into a high growth area that matched who their demographics were and just sold or given their church away to the ethnicity that was making up most of that area now. You know, we're in it for the kingdom. Big K. We're not in it for our little kingdoms. So, um, anyway, so this is where our members live. So then I look to see our visitors. That's harder for you to see. It's not a big contrast with yellow. But these are people, and this is old, old stuff now. I pulled this earlier. But I all of a sudden found that I've got these people visiting from up in this area, which I don't know why. They've never driven that far down to find us. Uh, And actually, this one used to cut off here. So now what's happening, there's Paulding County, which is associated to us. We're reaching out further into Paulding now. This is going up closer to Lake Altoona that people are drawn into now. And then there's this, and we've actually dipped down. We used to just stop here on 360. Now we're going down to 278 with people visiting us. But what I had to find out now, those people are visiting us, are they sticking? And so these are our new members. And I had to look to see where our new members are coming from. And I'm finding out that we're pulling nine miles to the west of us, uh, eight and a half to the east, because when they get over toward Marietta Square, they don't want to drive over to us. They think we're out in sticks in Alabama. And then they can they drive, will and drive five miles this way and about six miles this way. But we have some concentration. Anyway, the bottom line is you got to become a student of your community, okay, regardless of what this is. And so I gave this to you on your sheet. This is something I would encourage you to ask about your own church.
And these are just some questions I threw out there. Like, each one of these, are they a bridge or barrier? Where your people, your members live? Do they live in your community? If they do, that's a possible bridge. If they don't, one of the things I noticed at Eastside when we were transitioning is all the staff members didn't even live in the community of the church. We were all commuting from distance away. Well, that's a red flag right there when your staff's not even living in the community of the church. You begin losing the community uh, of it. You know, I tried the high school that had 73 nationalities. I had a big outreach day and um, uh, invited the men to come out and help work uh, on uh, around Wheeler High School there. And I didn't hardly have anybody show up because none of their kids went there. And they didn't have ownership of it. And that's when I knew we were in trouble, that we needed to do something. Because there's a disconnect between us and, and the community. And when that happens, it's only a matter of time. Um, where are our members engaged in the community? Um, are they where the people in the community are spending time on weekends? Are my people at the ballparks that our communities are at the ballparks? Are they involved with the activities that our community is involved with? Or is there a disconnect? If uh, the age of our members, do, does the age of our members match the age of our community? Just like you were sharing a minute ago. Um, is that a bridge or is that a barrier? You've got to know that before you can deal with that. The bridge gives you, and uh, some of you in business, we call this like a SWOT analysis where you look at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Because what you do is you try to capitalize on the bridge and you try to minimize the barriers or turn that around in your favor. So, the, for example, I was, talk, I was consulting this church in Gwinnett County and they were not reaching their immediate community. I did a study, I showed them where they did match certain pools of population in their area because they had had some transitioning happen and stuff. And so they had like upward baseball, basketball, and soccer. So what I did was I got them to give me a list of all of the participants in those sports leagues. And I threw them in Google Maps and put them up there. And like the, the kids that were playing um, in their baseball league was like right in their sweet spot. And I said, what are you, you're offering these leagues and stuff, what are you doing to reach to the, or is it just a baseball experience or are you using that as an outreach to engage your community? Well, they didn't have anything in place to, to bring, to assimilate those families, to introduce them to the ministries of the church. So we spent, so that was, an, uh, that was a bridge, a possible bridge that they could use. So we spent time because they had a healthy one. And their weekday preschool was reaching the people that they needed to reach. And Vacation Bible School was. They had three big, really positive things, but they weren't doing anything with them. That's why you have to identify the good things and not just shake your head because, let's see, if your, your members are old, like my home church back home, and, uh, and it's much older than the community, well, that's okay. Look at the, th at the bridges that you do have and capitalize on them. Don't write it off just because you have a couple of barriers. We all have a couple of barriers. So look at the racial mixture of your church as compared to the community. As I encouraged you before, if there is, 
a, a difference. Don't just feel like if you just hire a, a staff member or whatever of that ethnicity that all of a sudden you've made the plunge. Uh, I mean, I, I, saw, I saw Barry's church transition. I saw y'all try that. And he was an incredible guy, man. He was a Paralympic gold medalist. Great guy. He was a great member of your staff. But that is not going to reach the ethnicity. Sometimes you think, well, I'm going to get a youth minister of that ethnicity. And, boy, it's just going to change the world. Well, don't believe it. Let's just say, and I don't know, I've not worshipped uh, with your congregation before, but let's say he comes in to like my home church, First Baptist McKaysville. I'm not saying that he would he would put it down, but like as far as feeling the spirit when they sing, you know, the spirit just ran out and hit during during song service. Whereas in his, I imagine you feel the spirit when you worship it, right? And so there's just some mismatches that you just got to deal with in churches. All right, let's keep going. Location of our building. If uh, sometimes you find that you ain't attached with anything, you're, you used to, be, used to be a great location, and now you're like just flapping out in the breeze. It's working against you. Uh, what about the appearance and the condition of, of, of your building compared to the community? If they come, are they going to... Does it match what they are used to going to during the week when they go to kids' activities or the doctor or whatever, whatever? You know, one of the things I had to deal with with the church in Gwinnett County I was consulting is they were one of those that was blessed, like many of you probably, that if you passed by, they had this road in front of them that was extremely busy, but you didn't even know the church was there because there's this big graveyard, a cemetery there right in front of it. So they never even saw the church. They just thought that was a cemetery. So how do you deal with that? That's a barrier. How do you deal with that? Um, what the, comp- what the church, uh, the community is looking for, I just read you one of the profiles on our community. They're so kid-centric that they want their kids to have opportunities. Well, if I look at my church, am I matching the community? And do they see a focus on their kids? That's why our last building was a brand new children's building that would just knock your socks off. If you drive down the road, you'll look and you'll see that in the big window in it is this playground that's like three times, four times the size of Chick-fil-A's playgrounds. And uh, they see that and they know that we are focused on kids and their family. And in, uh, and that's actually one of our biggest. And so what we do is we have really capitalized on that. So you find a sweet spot and you go with it. Uh, does your worship style match the community's heart language? Now, I'm not about tickling people's preferences, but there's something about a heart language of worship that connects with people. It just does. And so, um, and, and so, and, uh, so, you know, is what you're bringing to the plate, if you reach those people around you, brought them into worship, is their heart going to connect during the worship time uh, at your church? So, anyway, those are just some things to think about. That's community awareness. Community awareness deals with the head. You're thinking through it. It's very cerebral. But then the soul awareness deals with your heart, the heart of your congregation. 
both of which we have problems with, <laughs> we don't think. And then our heart is not softened enough to lost people for us to change. So here's some questions. To do, we did a kind of a community awareness, a bridge barrier assessment. Let's look at soul awareness. Uh, does our church regularly pray for the lost people in our community? Uh, uh, in Sunday school classes, what percentage of our prayer requests are for people's salvation? <laughs> I'm just telling you, the average Sunday school class hadn't prayed for a lost person in forever. Unless it was somebody's wayward child or grandchild. that had to do with their kids or grandkids, then they prayed for them. But otherwise, I, you know, hardly ever have I heard prayer requests for lost people that, that just live around them or that they met that week or whatever. That is a true indication of the temperature of the soul. Do what? Or work with them. Amen. Yeah. We, we pray to where them. they have a burden. Yeah. You know, you need to pray. I remember when I was at First Snellville. When I was at East Side, I went through, I guess, CWT. And when I was at Snellville, uh, man, we, we were really sharing with the lost. And I remember wrestling with God. And, and I, I uh, because I knew I needed to share Christ. And I knew I needed to, to do that as a part of my walk. And one day, you know, God just kind of convicted me and He said, Marty, here's the problem, man. You're, you're asking me to help you do it, but you want to do it out of obligation or responsibility because that's what you know you need to do as a Christian. And He said, what you need to do is you need to ask me to break your heart over lost people. So you're doing it out of love and compassion. See, Jesus looked at the people and they looked helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd and He was moved with compassion. And we don't see, we don't see lost people as hurting. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we are so judgmental because lost people ask, act lost and, and we're judgmental of that. We expect lost people to act like Christians and, and Christians have a hard enough act, time acting like Christians. Mm. Amen? Amen. I mean, why should, we, why should we expect a lost person who doesn't have the Spirit of God living in them to act like a Christian when we have the Spirit of God and we have a hard enough time acting like a Christian? So, we need God to do heart surgery on us and break our hearts for lost people. Um, are adults being baptized in our church? If you look at the baptisms over the last year, we have uh, biological baptisms because the kids of whomever we have get baptized. But are we baptizing reaching adults? That's a good indicator. Are our people bringing friends with them to church? That's an indicator of two things. Number one, do they have a concern for people's souls. And number two, is your church a safe place to bring a lost person? Some of our churches are not. The lost person would feel uncomfortable in our church. So those are some questions. Uh, do, in, well, in fact, do our people even know lost people? One of the things that Baptists do is we, we insulate and isolate ourselves. Like if you had the opportunity, if you were invited to a... Uh, 
Christmas party at work or in your neighborhood, <coughs> and it was the same night as the Christmas party for your Sunday school class, which one would you go to? Yep, 99.9% would go to Sunday school class because that's where we're more comfortable. Because, in fact, the other one, they may even have alcohol at it. I might feel highly uh, uncomfortable at it. Which one would Jesus choose? Which one did He choose? Did He choose to go hang out with the Pharisees? Or did He hang out with the prostitutes, the drunkards? Um, Are you meaning... If Jesus had a chance to go to a Georgia game or an Alabama game, he would go to an Alabama game <laughs> because there are more there are more reprobates there are more reprobates at the Alabama game. Sorry, Marty. No, that was good. You teed it up for me, brother. That's good. That's good. That reminds me of like if you see somebody wearing like Auburn paraphernalia, you know that they went to Auburn. If you see somebody wearing Alabama paraphernalia, you know they went to Walmart. <laughs> Don't get me going there, Mary. Okay. All right. So uh, we know that Athens is a very spiritual place. Yes. Yes. No. That's right. So, but but you know, statistics show the longer a person is a Christian, the fewer uh, lost people they know. Because then you have to go out of your way because who you're hanging out with is always Christian. So, you know, so you say, we'll reach the lost, and they're like, I don't know anybody who's lost. Well, go find something to get. I had that problem when I went from church, uh, to business to pastoring. I, I'd never thought about that. But as a pastor, I was always around church people, Christians. And man, that stinks. Because they can be really mean and ugly. Yeah. So I had to start, for example, in, in, in the metro Atlanta area, we have these tennis leagues. And I started this uh, Alta tennis team for men in my subdivision at our courts to get to know lost people. I mean, sometimes you have to go way out and try to figure out a way to be around lost people. It's a good thing. I was just in New York. Uh, no, I was in Philadelphia. Uh, with executive pastors from the larger Southern Baptist churches. And we had a, a pastor there in Philadelphia, which is a very unchurched city. And uh, he said that they required every one of their staff members to have what he called a side hustle so that they were around lost people. So, and, they, and their staff could pick out what it was. So some of them had decided to drive Uber, be Uber drivers, and they were finding ways that would force them to be out with lost people. So they would stay in touch with lost people. <laughs> That's a shame, isn't that a shame? That we have to force ourselves to be around lost people because we just don't gravitate that way. All right, so the, uh, I'll put it uh, right there, I think. Didn't I put that on your handout? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, where you could actually kind of uh, check yourself, see where you are. And then, so then the question is, well, what do you do? Um, this is perhaps the most difficult because you can get somebody smart to get that report and figure it out. But what does it take to increase my church's soul awareness? Now, when I asked Tim Smith, when I was going to lead this, I said, now, Tim, am I, who am I going to be in there? Is it going to be just Sunday school teachers? Am I going to have pastors or what? And he said, well, it's in the adult Sunday school track. 
So you need to make sure that you gear it towards Sunday school teachers. And I said, because community involvement, you can have an involvement from Sunday school, but man, you need your church involvement around uh, engaging the community. So that's why I threw this question in, can we create it in our Sunday school? You can, it's, much, it's just much harder. Um, because it takes, I think, two things. There has to be a catalyst and a culture in your church has to be created, a catalyst and a culture. And what does that mean? Well, a catalyst may be some evangelistic event. It could be a wild game banquet that I threw out earlier, where all of a sudden there's a ton of lost people. And, and, and you've got to figure out what to do with those lost people, how you, how you can get them into your church. Like, we have this big thing, uh, our student pastor does this big thing in, in November to, to re- it's, it actually, he, it's a dodgeball tournament, and he gets the neighboring high school teams to come in and participate in it. And then he has the, the, the girls, uh, you know, volleyball team, softball teams. He does all these kind of things, and it's a huge, and probably 80% of the kids there uh, don't go to our church, most of whom are unchurched. Well, that's good and everything, and you draw a good crowd. What are you going to do with them? How are, you gonna, how are you going to assimilate them into your church? Wild Game Banquet, I love it. I've been doing those for 20 years. Anytime you have an outreach event, you've got to ask, how does this go into the church? You know, when we do vacation Bible school, when we do, we do a big egg hunt because that's in the wheelhouse of our community for Easter. Uh, then we are within three days uh, at their house on a follow-up visit, and we have these whole steps in place for follow-up. So a catalyst may be an evangelistic event. It could be a training event. You may bring in somebody from outside and do a major training event. I remember, did any of you all do faith evangelism strategy uh, when it was uh, big? And so sometimes you'd bring in somebody. I remember I trained at Eastside. I trained 300 people from our church in one weekend on how to share faith, F-A-I-T-H, the gospel. And then we went out and actually put it in action then. So it may be a church-wide emphasis where the whole church, in fact, I'm getting ready to do what I'll share with you in a minute, um, that I'm going to do in January around this. And it's going to be a study that we do in all of our Sunday school classes. The preacher will preach on it. And, and uh, so the whole thing is going to f- be focused in on that. One thing that the Southern Baptists has teed, teed us up is who's your one. J.D. Greer is the current uh, head of that. He's pastor of Summit Baptist. And so there are tons of training you know there's evangelism training with who's your one out there and uh, there's everything you need to have a church-wide emphasis or focus um, but I will say that um, that uh, passion starts with you the leaders if you don't the reason that we baptized a thousand a year when I was with James Merritt is because every Sunday James Merritt would share in the course of his message about people that he had shared Christ with that week. And it wasn't on visitation, and it wasn't when they came down at the altar during the, during the invitation, and it wasn't when they came to his office for counseling. It was when he was out doing life. 
I remember when we would have, I was on his pastor's council. I remember he was late one night and he came in and we're sitting there kind of ticked off at him because we had to get up the next morning at 5.30 and drive to downtown Atlanta. And here he was respecting our time. And he gets there and he says, guys, before we start, I got to ask you, he said, I just got through visiting with this single mom who doesn't know Christ. She's hurting and she is just so close to accepting Christ, but she won't do it. And he said, I need us to stop and just pray and lift her up right now before the Lord. And I just tell you, that put our priorities in order. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that's where he had been. All of a sudden, we're like, yeah, this business stuff we're going to deal with is important, but it's not as important as that. So it starts there with us. And it can't just be church-centric stuff. It's lifestyle stuff. Here's what I'm going to do. Let me tell you about this. I, I just discovered this in the last year. There is, has anybody ever read this book, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People? It's a guy named Kevin Harney. Um, it hasn't made its way much in Baptist churches, but to me, it is the best, the best book I've read in the last two years, and I'm an avid reader. Every year at my executive pastor conference, and these are the churches like First Baptist Orlando, uh, Florida. This is Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. This is First Baptist Houston. These are First Baptist Dallas, Texas. These are all the big boys, and I'm the little small one in the in the bigger boys who are running 10,000 plus. And we, we always say, what are you doing to train your people? And after faith came and went, we're all like, eh. Now, there was one thing that came out on three circles. Some did. I read this, and uh, it, it's powerful. I'm going to take my whole church through it in January. And what it is, it doesn't involve visitation. It doesn't involve faith. It doesn't even involve a particular uh, method. The first week, the first lesson, there's 13 lessons. The first lesson is on that it starts with love. You have to have a deep love for the Lord and a deep love for other people. The set, and you have to love the church. The second week, it's on grace. And it's on the fact that you have to understand the depths of grace that has been extended to you. And you must extend that grace to others. And it doesn't go into the how-to as much as it does the theology, the truth in God's Word that should make us stand back and, and understand and develop the heart for it. And so I'm going to, and, and then he actually, he has another one which I would encourage pastors in here to take a look at. It's called Organic Outreach for Ordinary Churches. And what happened was he was running an extremely large number of, of um, baptisms a year. And they would ask him to speak at outreach conferences. And they kept asking him why he didn't write a book. And he's like, well, I'm just, I'm a pastor. And you know, these have just happened at my church. And they said, well, how about this? We'll help you coordinate this. We'll choose 12 churches of different sizes, different denominations, and different geographical areas. Work with them and let's see if there are similar results. And there, there were. And so he put that in a book. And, and here's the, this is incredible. I mean, this is so simple, it's incredible. And this is how you develop a culture, a soul awareness. So here's what they did. Is that, they have um, 
if you're blessed to have more than one pastor in your church, it started there. If you didn't, they got just the key leaders, your leadership team, if you would, together once a month. And they would um, ask, uh, well, first of all, he does a one-degree rule and a two-degree rule. They would get together and they'd say, okay, of the things we're doing, the programs and the ministries, if we didn't start anything new, if we just made those more evangelistic, how could we tweak them two degrees to make them more evangelistic? And then they came up with that. And then as they finished their meeting, they said, okay, let's do this. Let's just go around, and so every month they'd do this, and they'd say, on a scale of one to ten, what is your um, out your outreach temperature, your personal outreach temperature? He says he uses the word outreach instead of evangelism because evangelism scares people, and I agree. But it's basically like, on a scale of one to ten, where is your temperature from your personal um, evangelism? And what would you hope to do to move that one degree? One degree. That's it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, so it might be me, and I'm like, well, you know, I was like a two this week. I just, I don't know. Uh, I was so busy getting ready for, to train and just locked myself in to come up with training and stuff and all. I just didn't really have an awareness that I should have had this week, you know. I'm not competing against the other guys. I'm just, you know, and, and you, you know. And then and I'm like, you know, hey, this next week, I'm going to, it's not that I'm going to go out visiting door to door. This next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it a part of my quiet time with the Lord to spend more time just praying that God would break my heart for lost people. And that's what I want to do. And that's my and, and that's what I share that I'm gonna do this week. Just in one degree. And he said, then everybody that those leaders, and those who are youth leaders, children's leaders, worship leaders, whomever, whomever they meet with, they end their meeting asking that same question. All the way down to like the Sunday school classes. At Sunday school classes once a month, you just break off and say, Hey, just Share how you're doing in your personal outreach, scale of 1 to 10, and what's one thing you can do. He said that because of that, the one-degree rule and two-degree rule, he said that all of a sudden it's created all these conversations. There's no legalism. There's no uh, you know, visitation. But all of a sudden they're creating a greater soul awareness and a greater heart for the lost. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just amazing to me. I mean, we have tried as Southern Baptists everything in the book. And I've done those. I've done the big outreach, the visitation, the door-to-door blitzes. I've done those. They still work. I still love them. But I'd much rather see my people brokenhearted for lost people that live next to them or work with them or whose kids play on my uh, t-ball team with my kids or whatever, right? So I'm going to do that. That's, that's what I, my church is going to be about to address the heart issue because I've already got the head issue figured out in my case. I've got to continue to nurture the heart issue. All right. It was it's organic outreach for ordinary churches. 
And you can actually pull it up, and he makes all these resources free because uh, he's a pastor. And so you can check out, I uh, think, his website, you know, like Organic Outreach or something creative like that. So I called their organization, I called him, he's a pastor, he's out in California. They have to deal with lostness on a whole new level. I like dealing with folks in California because they've seen stuff that we're beginning to see. And so to see if he could come out and speak for us. And so the head of the ministry called me. So I was picking his brain. And I said, hey, you know, are you working with Southern Baptist churches? And he said, you know, I, he said, I've talked some with, who is Scott, Scott Smith? He said, I've had conversations with Scott Smith here at the state level, but he said his job and the restructuring, you know, they've kind of put us on hold. He said, you know, we do some work with a couple other denominations, but Southern Baptist really hasn't. So anyway, okay, got it? So a culture keeps it in front of people. And that's what you got to do. And as a result, there are stories. And you have to tell the stories. So, to have a culture, you keep in front of people that there's lostness and that you're to have gospel-centered conversations. And you'll start having stories. I still remember Dr. Merritt sharing that one meeting about this story. And so, when there are stories... Share those with the church. Stories make a huge difference. I think I, uh, so. And then uh, the testimonies. Let somebody, man, if you have somebody even who's leading, who's, who's starting to talk to people. At church. We have a lady, and she just started asking people how she could pray for them in the course of her week. And she's had tremendous gospel-centered conversations as a result of that how she can pray for somebody, and then she prays for her. And so we let her share her testimony. And don't always just share the testimonies of the superstars where the person got on their knees right then and gave their life to Christ uh, because evangelism is a team sport, and it may, you may have a win uh, because somebody was far from the gospel and they've taken a step closer to the gospel. That's a win. You know, it's a win. Occasionally, we're blessed to have the harvest and praise God for that. That's good encouragement. But let them share stories and have special prayer time for the lost. For the lost. And, and then have big celebrations. Like baptisms, men celebrate baptisms big time. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you do, but ask them, you know, who, who are your family is going to be coming? And, uh, and you send invitations out from the church. After church on Sunday or before, have a reception for them to celebrate the baptism, the life change of that person, of that individual. A lot of my friends have impact cards. I would like to do that uh, in January of coming year. You provide the whole church <coughs> card that they keep uh, in their wallet or purse, and it lists the three people that they're going to be praying for um, during the course of the coming year. And you keep that in front of people. <coughs> pretty simple, but those are the things that make up a culture of soul awareness. Uh, three things must be true. You've got to have community awareness, soul awareness, and um, the third one is social media awareness. I'm not going to elaborate a lot on it. Let me just share a couple of thoughts on this, okay? Some of you, that may not be your wheelhouse. If you're trying to reach younger people, it's where they live. Actually, how many of y'all have a Facebook account now? 
So you look, it, it, the, the fastest growing age group that now have Facebook is 65 to 75. Their kids have gotten them involved. Now they can see, because that's the window into not necessarily just their friends, but into their grandkids. What's going on with grandkids? And if they don't live in the same area, and so actually what's happened, the, the people in the 20s and early 30s, they've left Facebook because all y'all got on Facebook. And they're now on Instagram. They think Facebook is for their mamas and grandmamas. So anyway, but uh, let me just throw out a couple of things before we leave. Uh, so our, our communities are tech savvy now. They are. That's where we live. If we're not looking at that, we've got our head in the sand. 80% of people, before they visit you, they'll go onto your website. What does your website look like? Lord help us. Some websites I've seen. Your website is not designed for your church members. Guess what? Your church members don't even look at your website. Mine don't even look at my website. I've created an app. They use the app. They don't look at my website. Visitors look at your website. You need to, it needs to be front center for visitors. That's who it's for. Um, the new front door to our church is now Facebook Live streaming. My church I grew up in, Kingtown Baptist Church, they now stream. I can see what worship looks like and what the preaching looks like. And they're running 60 now, I guess. But uh, they have a tripod, I can tell, and they've got it set up on there. And they stream. And, and this morning, I saw where the pastor is on a mission trip, and he was streaming from his mission trip. You know what it takes to do Facebook stream? You go to Facebook, and I think, well, you press stream. <laughs> or live. You press live. And all of a sudden, you're on Facebook live. And uh, it just blows me away. It's free. And what it does is that people no longer want to come until they know what to expect. Because now, when somebody calls you on your cell phone, you don't answer it. When I was with a phone company, we started doing caller ID. That started that. And then people put peepholes in the front door, and they wouldn't answer it until they saw somebody. Now, if you don't know the number coming in, you ain't going to answer it. If it's somebody who needs you, they'll leave a message. Now there's this fancy doorbell called a ring doorbell. And uh, now if somebody rings your doorbell, if I had one of those at home, uh, I could, uh, it would alert me right now and I could look to see who was at my front door at home before I answered it. And I could talk to them and say, hey, I'm not interested. And, and that's the world we live in. Mayhem. So they're, not, yeah, mayhem. So they're not gonna come, you know, they wanna know like what your preaching is like, they wanna know what your music is like, and they wanna know what the people look like in your church. And that is so Facebook Live, if you, that's like a little keyhole that they're looking into in your church to see if that's a safe place to come for them. Believe it or not, that's just the craziest thing in the world. Yes, it is what it is. We can't wait on people to come to us. We have to initiate the engagement. So social media is the way to push it out there. The average person in America has 338 friends on Facebook. So can you imagine people were interested in your posts. I, well, I was in Gainesville Monday night. There was a pastor in, from my hometown in the 70s. I took a picture with him. I put him on there. And I had people who were peers of my mother in their 80s make comments about knowing him. 
You know, how often do you post things about Christ in your life or the things going on in your church? That's one of the biggest reaches you can have with community engagement is what all the members are posting about your church. Other ways to engage is to look at the bridge and barriers that I mentioned and organize efforts to capitalize on them. For example, since ours are kids, and let's say we're a little bit older, then we didn't have kids on the ball field anymore, we might get volunteer to go work the concession stand, to be out and, and wear t-shirts that had the name of our church, to get out in the community where our people are. You know, you just have to be creative as you get out there. So you find that from here. So. Um, three forms of being involved with the community. One is that you've got to join the community. Don't wait on them to join you. You can join the community or you can ask them to come join us, which all of us do, and we have those cool marquees, but that's, they're not working anymore. And then the interesting thing is the only way that they will come join us is if we engage them as we go and join them in the community. Did I leave one out? No, I left that one out. I'm sorry. Okay, three ways that you, and this is in summary, the three ways that you can engage your community is one, your people are living on mission. As you go is the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples. Never says, invite them to come to church to hear the preachers preaching and pray that they're going to get saved at the invitation. It says that all of our people are to go and take the gospel conversations with them. The second is for you people and your church to make efforts to join the community. You walk across, build a bridge and walk across it into your community. Then you've earned the right to ask them to come join you. Got it? Yeah, that's the deal. So the only way they will come join us is if we go cross the bridge as our people and join them in their community. All right? Listen, if... Um, let me... Now, what you need to do, some of y'all, you get, you get these ideas now. I pray that you got one, one, one nugget you can take with you. But uh, you need some like-minded people around you to be change agents. So you've got to get the right people. Um, and not just keep it to yourself. But a guy, you know, you guys, the lostness is out there. I mean, y'all agree? The lostness is there. It's not going away. Lost people are out there. God chose His church as the vehicle for reaching lost people. And so, um, but we're to be... Um, uh, what, what, what's the Scripture? Uh, wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Uh, we have to be, let's, let's be smart. I mean, let's be smart. Let's use the creative uh, juices that God gave us as well. All right. Bless you. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we come to You and we know that, that the, the reason You delayed coming back is to give us time to go out and take the Gospel so that more may come to know You. And Lord, we ask Your forgiveness because I know my heart. I don't gravitate toward loving lost people. I have to constantly come back to You and ask You to show me that these people are hurting and they're lost and they act that way because they're lost. And they're trying to find fulfillment and You're the only fulfillment we can really find in this life. 
So Father, I just pray for every church represented here. Lord, we have a desire that you use us to reach our communities. We really do. Help us um, to get our heads out of the sand, to get our hearts right before you, and then help us to be smart and to, to bring the right people around with the right hearts to mobilize into our communities, Father. Go with these folks. Just give them one ounce that they may take back would make a kingdom difference. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Pleasure being with you guys. Hey, if I could be help you in any way, that's my cell phone, email address. Give me a shout, okay? Thank you, thank you.